0: and welcome to That Tech Pod, where we discuss all things e-discovery, cybersecurity, data privacy, and tech innovations. I'm Laura Milstein.
1: And I'm Kevin Umber.
0: And each week, we bring on heavy hitters from the industry to help us break down these topics. And today, Kevin, who are we talking to?
1: Today, we are talking to Philippe Umu. Philippe is an IT security engineer and the founder of Crowdsec. He is from Paris, France. He founded his first company and quickly oriented it towards penetration testing and high security hosting. He was also deeply involved in Magneto's community creation and animation in France and is well-versed in e-commerce. He even wrote four books on the topic. In 2020, he founded CrowdSec, a company editing an eponymous open source and collaborative IPS, leveraging both IP behavior and reputation to create a community and tackle the mass-scale hacking problem. Philippe, welcome to the show.
2: Hey, thank you for having me. I'm so happy. Hopefully, we learned something today, right?
1: That's the hope every time.
0: Philippe, Uh, your accent is just priceless. Where are you from? You're from France, right? Paris?
2: Yeah, uh, I'm from France, but from the west shore of Brittany. I'm looking, as we speak, if I look at the west, I would look at something like New York, probably.
0: Mm, Okay, that's exciting. For everyone listening, he has what looks like three llamas or three alpacas behind him, and he can make them light up, which is really exciting. What are they? Are they llamas or are they alpacas? I can't tell the difference.
2: Yeah, actually, they are alpacas. And alpaca in Peruvian means policemen. And those llamas or kind of llamas, which are alpacas, they are guarding the herd to prevent them from falling. Because probably they have like one or two neurons more than ships, you know. So they are the policemen of the herd. And we find that it's a cool stuff to, to actually help everyone together, have, prevent everyone from falling from the cliff, right? That's one thing. And my CTO wife is also very fond of alpacas. She wanted to have an alpaca petting bar, which is technically not really possible because Alpaca have very loose control over the sphincter. But apart from that, they are really cool animals, adorable, very fluffy, very nice. And they mm-hmm. like to go all together, not alone.
0: So if you hadn't realized, today's episode is sponsored by Alpaca Farms. <laughs> everyone support your local alpaca farm
1: that, that was a big thing like in the in quarantine like as people were coming out of the pandemic and like you'd see like people were like, like rent an like alpaca for the day and you can just go <laughs> yeah. and like hug it for an hour and and all that like there was a couple of those when my kids were like wandering around the neighborhood they're like why is there an alpaca truck and then there's like all of a sudden there's an alpaca in the yard and the kids are like let me go and jump on this thing
0: yeah i mean you yeah, like, can't go wrong
1: they're like super soft it's like an they're amazing so soft. material like yeah. like fluffiness There's a
0: brand called Paca Apparel, get it, Paca? Hmm. And they're based out of Brazil and they make the best just alpaca socks or something. Oh, it's so good. Highly recommend. (laughs) Well, for everyone else that is not interested in this, get interested, it's the best. But, But let's talk cybersecurity. So similar to alpaca is cybersecurity. So you are one of the founders, or the founder, I should say, of CrowdSec. You threw me off when you said our C- CEO, so I'm thrown. Give us more about you know your background, CrowdSec. I know it's an open source multiplayer firewall that you're you're analyzing. You're doing a bunch of stuff. You're basically saying, hey, we're gonna provide an adaptive response from different attacks. But but tell tell everybody more from from what I'm trying to say and, and turn that into English, if, if you can.
2: Yeah, sure. I'll try at least. Well, background is from Pentesting Red Team. So basically, you know, the guys that you contract and they try to break in and with a lot of fun with this, but it, it just lasts for a certain moment of your, in your life, because after you, you marry, you have kids, you have friends, and you don't feel like spending 20 hours a day into, you know, reading new uh, papers about how to break into companies. Long story short, I had like a hosting company, MSP. And we had to protect from a lot of different attacks uh, coming from the internet, like ingress attack, you know, coming from the external part of your network toward exposed servers. And uh, we never had really proper tools doing this. So we felt like it was missing on the market. So the goal of CrowdSec is to actually enable everyone to partake into a large network, which is drawing the map of every public IP addresses using by cyber criminals. And the way we do this is we. It did a software, MIT license, so your entire, right, free of charge, open source license. You can do whatever, whatever you want with it, really. And, but it's specialized in reading logs. Any kind of logs from any source. Could be Windows, Linux, BSD. Could be container on the cloud, on-premise, we don't care. Or coming from a CM eventually, if you want. And within those logs, we look for bad behaviors. There is, GivoTech like 15 different kind of bad behaviors, ranging from scanning, like, web scanning, VOIP, number scanning, port scanning, or credential reuse, brute force, injection, and so on and so forth. So there are like 300 scenarios fitting in 15 different categories. And once we find a public IP address having a bad behavior against your servers, two things are happening. One, we use a remediation component you already have usually your firewall, your load balancer, your Akamai, your Cloudflare, your AWS firewall, whatever you use. And we inject this IP saying, hey, you should block it or send a CAPTCHA you know, to prevent it from going further into this attack. And the second thing is we are sharing this IP address with our servers, with our, with our API, the timestamp, the IP, and its behavior. And seen at scale, the scale of 250,000 machines as as we speak, we curate those signals to create a real-time map of the bad IP addresses over the internet that we redistribute to everyone under the form of a block list. It's a kind of ways of firewalls, if you want.
1: So I have a question about sort of the, the open source of this. Like, I get sort of the advantage is obviously from a lower cost standpoint, but how is the like the community really pulled into this? Like, how is this a open source group effort? Can you kind of clarify that a little bit?
2: Yeah, sure. It relates mostly to what we call the cold boot effect. It's been documented by people at Uber, for example, so how do you start a network effect with actually no network, right? So people join your network because you have a network, but if you have no network you have no, and so on, you know, chicken and egg problem. Well, we dealt with this one by using the period of time where those cloud makers, those cloud giants, were tossing money at you like hell if you would create a company in the cyberspace industry and they would toss credits. So you could start servers for free, basically. So this is what we did. We'd roughly, I don't know, 300,000 euros in credits to Spoon servers make honeypot network to boot our real network and then once the real network took over we dropped the uh the honeypot system to privilege real traffic and real signals and have better cti and blocklist data more realistic. So this is how we booted it. And why open source? Not much because of the costing rather than deep philosophy in the company, but also because we wanted everyone to be able to adapt the system to their own context. We think, you know, it's really important to be included in all these distros to have the largest possible network and also to avoid any friction to adoption. And as we all know, money is the first friction to adoption.
1: It seems though countered in my mindset though to open sourcing a cybersecurity product like this. In my mind that's the sort of the always, not to say big complaint, but the potential issue with crowdsourcing is that you're opening up more security holes and kind of allowing people underneath the covers to see the code. And are you worried about exposing that to a, a community who then you know, now knows how the tool works and, and all that? Is there any worry from a cybersecurity standpoint?
2: Yeah, so that that goes to way You know, if you have like a public code that like we have, there are like thousands of eyes on our source code. So the possibilities that there is a bug and it goes unnoticed by us or anyone, it's its extremely unlikely. Contrary to things like SolarWind that are closed source and, you know, hosted a problem and then it, it was widely uh, broadcasted to everyone. But the, the one problem, I mean, the one thing that scares us and, and keeps us worried and, and we work a lot on that, is how do we deal with this general byzantine general problem? You know, it's like the the same problem as you have in the blockchain industry. People are altogether keeping a ledger up to date, right? So you want to be sure that anyone writing into the ledger is entitled to do so and is not writing crap, right? It's true for Bitcoin, but it's true as well for a block list. And most of our effort, curation efforts, goes into this algorithm, which we call the consensus, and the consensus uh, is not allowed to put an IP address in the blocklist before it's validated by a lot of different IPs coming from different ranges and different AS. The logic behind would be that it would be very complicated for a hacker, or for a server criminal rather, to get hold of so many machines in so many different places just to inject one bad IP address that would be anywhere removed very quickly. So this is the stake we have into, you know, keeping this collective ledger proper.
1: I Are you to... worried about people removing themselves or oh. removing IPs that they shouldn't? Good, Sorry, Laura, I did mean to step no, on No, it's
2: okay. That was a good follow up. Yeah, I mean, not so much because first of all, it's mandatory yeah. uh, as a- the GDPR regulation we are a European based company but anyway we would comply to to GDPR even though we would not be so a public IP address is considered a private information something that is personal eventually right so you have the right to correct your data and to remove the IP address from our block list but there's a twist here if you do it and we see your IP address coming back into our network it's an automated process so you'll be put back into the block list but this time if you ask again to be removed Will make you a penalty of one week. And if you do this a second time, it would be one month. Until Got eventually it. you never remove this IP address because actually it's still compromised.
1: Okay.
0: So when we're talking about malevolent IP attacks, we know they're growing, and I'm just I'm just getting into this. This is a this is a thing. They're growing. If you don't think so, I I disagree with you. But how, when we're talking about things like this and and we're talking about everyday users and we're saying, hey, let's go in, divide and conquer your business, let's protect your data, et cetera. How is that working? What are your thoughts around this? What should we be looking for? What are we not noticing that maybe we should be noticing?
2: There's one thing here that is striking me that for the last 30 or 40 years, the, the book was saying like, you know, you're a big corporation, you have a big budget, you have the best in class, you have all the softwares and so on. And we see where it led people. With this Captain America syndrome, you're fighting alone against an army. And that just never works. You know, like for the 3,000 last years, we saw that if you want to beat an army, you have to have a bigger army and better equipped if possible. So this is what we're trying to pull here. Like the likes of Microsoft, Samsung, Okta, U.S. government, CIA, FBI, everybody got hacked right it's not just a budget problem the problem is in the mindset if you want to beat an army you need a bigger army that's why we want to crowdsource the effort every time mankind has been working together and to achieving a greater goal we actually made impossible things happen like picturing a black hole which would never have been possible without hundreds of telescopes working for a year all together across the world it would never have been possible to find a cure against covid without this. It would never have been possible to fight traffic jam without waste. So this is where collaborative efforts can tackle extremely large problems like cyber criminality. And it's an extremely large problem. I totally agree with you, Laura, because what's on the table as a loot, as a cost incurred by the industry, is equivalent to the third biggest GDP in the world. Yes, you heard right. US, China, yeah. cybercrime.
0: I also want to ask, so How can the integration of ethical hacking practices be optimized? When we're talking about, you you know, your focus around crowdsourced cybersecurity initiatives, what about not only to identify vulnerabilities, but also proactively enhancing the overall security posture? Or I guess even more to it, what unconventional methods do you think can be effective? Maybe some that are proven, maybe some that haven't been, but. You know, engaging diverse talent pools is such an endeavor. So, do you have any thoughts around that?
2: Well, you know, there are people that just want to go after like pedophile networks, and sometimes they have to breach into uh, computers to do so. This is illegal, but to which extent is it not a good thing anyway? So, I'm not here to give any moral lesson to anyone because it's, it's far too personal. I'd say that when you have a context where you can express yourself and help the others in a legal way it's always superior to choosing a legal alley now if you look at things like hacker one that are helping us for example with bounty systems to regulate the flow of information like hey you forgot this type of header here or there or whatever and people looking at the code it's mainly the website actually they never found anything into the engine but who knows, maybe one day. And uh, we are very happy that this global workforce is available and this gifted workforce is available to, to rent, to hire whenever we need them. Now, collaborative efforts are the pinnacle of what we make right. But I, w- I would stay as much as possible on the legal side, not to expose yourself, your family or whomever. And maybe, you know, those rules, you haven't made them. There are reasons for which they are around. And there are reasons why police is police, justice is justice, and cyber criminal units are cyber criminal units. You don't want to be the SWAT and you know rush into someone's home even though you have a gun, right? You would not think about doing this. Don't do the same in cybersecurity, you know, don't rush into some places you have no clue
1: what you're dealing with.
0: Fair. I like that you mentioned Hacker One. I like Hacker One as a company, and I think if you're in the cyber industry, you know what we're talking about when we say Hacker One. If you're not it's a good company, in my opinion. Kevin, you're not in the cyber industry, but you're in the tech industry. You're more in the e-discovery. You kind of bounce around in the industry. Have you heard of HackerOne? Do you know much about this company?
1: Only a little bit. Mainly, honestly, through this podcast, as we've been, been talking to folks, I've done some more research and that kind of thing, but not in my like day-to-day real life.
0: I realize that on this pod, when we're talking, we mention things we'll be like in Sentinel One," or random companies. And sometimes people may not know what companies we're talking about. And I'm going to start shouting out ones when guests mention them. And then I'm like, oh, I like that one. Or no, mm. that one is terrible. We're non-biased so we can give our true opinions. And there are some that shouldn't be mentioned, but are mentioned way too often. With that being said, owning your own company, what what challenges do you have Like when you're looking at... There's so many competitors in cybersecurity it's huge. It's a huge market. How, how do you decide, here are companies that I want to work with, here are companies that I just think should not even exist and you know, I'm competing with, but I think I'm better than. How do you kind of position yourself from the company perspective working with or knowing which companies not to work with?
2: Yeah, it's already a great ordeal to find a proper business model around open source as such already in the first place. But once you have it, it's even more critical to actually find the, the first vertical you want to work with because they are the suitable one for you and they are the other ones that are the most listening. So what we see in the market as we speak, Laura, is that they, most of the companies, specifically the biggest one, they have a really hard time deploying any new animal in their technical zoo. Right? They want to keep it under control. They want to reduce complexity. So if you come up and say, okay, hey, we have a great tool, you, could, you should install it most of times you will face a wall or you will wait in the queue for a year and a half or a year at least before they have time to even look into what you're doing. So instead of going in that road that would be extremely long and painful for us, we let the guys do it bottom up, right? So we tell here's the free software, it's doing great things for you. If you like it, you can go for the premium route at your pace. Now, on, in parallel, because we still need to generate meaningful revenues, We are selling those data. The output of the network effect are CTI and block list. You can compare CTI data to, you know, putting your finger in a bullet hole to avoid bleeding because you already took the bullet in the first place and you want to know where it came from, why, how and so on. So it's more a post-mortem thing, looking in the past, but it's still important to do, right? On the other end of the spectrum, you have the block list and block lists are here to be the Kevlar vest to avoid you taking the bullet in the first place or at least stop it before it's hurting you. And the block list has to be extremely curated before you can release it on the market because otherwise people will be like, hey, if there's a false positive, it's gonna cost me money and business, and that's really bad for business and so on and so forth. So long story short, what we sell to big companies are data, CTI, and block list because they can leverage them right away without thinking twice, without deploying another tool and so on, it's just one line of configuration or just pulling the data simply. And what we're selling to mid-sized businesses or larger businesses, but they want to take time to test and try the product before putting in production is we let them go bottom up from the free version to the premium version by themselves.
1: And is this a problem just for companies or should individuals be worried? Like, should I be worried that somebody is controlling my IP or, you know, how do I even know if my IP has been hacked?
2: Yeah, you, you should be actually, because nowadays everybody is a target, as I used to say, you know. If you are a new kid on the block in the cybercrime industry, you're not going to shoot the mob uh, head right away or uh, break into the NSA next day, right? You have to make your teeth and clouds and learn the, the trade and the ropes and stuff before people start giving you more meaningful resources and listen to you when you have a project. So basically, the next door plumber is a target. It's actually a fairly soft one. So if I have to spend, say, like two days of work and a 100 dollars to actually compromise him, but I can squeeze, I don't know, maybe 3,000 dollars out of his ciphered uh, accountability, then you know I'm going to make a fairly good profit out of it. And climbing the ladder, I will eventually uh, attack a hospital or a government or another company and so forth, investing more means, until eventually I rank in the mob. And, you know, instead of just collecting the fees of the mob at the next door restaurant, I'm now peddling goods or trading deals or drugs or whatever or be a hitman and be a big shot. You know, So everybody comes a letter, cyber criminal included, meaning individual are still a target. Now, how can you defend yourself? I would say right away and first and foremost, MFA, 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 MFA and MFA. Multi-factor authentication is critical to defend yourself because even though it can eventually be circumvented, it's really complex for the guys to do so. It requires extra layer of work and it puts you out of our way 99% of the time. So good password MFA are a really good ground to get started with.
0: Good luck though, because if you tell us, we'll take that challenge and we We'll try to hack
1: you. I was going to say that, that didn't leave you with a, a super woman <laughs> fuzzy there.
2: <laughs> Wait for it. <laughs> no problem. Oh. No problem. You know, I've, I've got a, a system at home that tells me if a new IP is registered that I don't know about or connecting to my Wi-Fi, if I have weird uh, flags going in and out and so on. But I'm a professional. That's my line of work. I've been doing this for the last 25 years. What we want here is everyone to be able to defend him or herself from potential harm's way. And that's why we provide this free software, because it's, it's making us stronger, but it's making also everyone stronger.
0: If you're listening and you're feeling a little stressed right now from this episode, remember, there are alpaca out there just waiting for you to meet them, pet them, and just feel how pet soft them. they are. <laughs> yeah, give, give them up. Wow, there was a lot to take in on today's episode. For those of you who are listening, who are interested in learning more about CrowdSec, you should. It is a very exciting open source multiplayer firewall. It's awesome. I would say the standout feature is its collaborative and adaptive approach to cybersecurity, leveraging a community-driven network to collectively identify and respond to emerging threats in real time. It's a cool company. There's a lot going on. We are really, really flattered that we were able to have you on today as the founder of this company. We really appreciate your time. So thanks for joining us today. Merci beaucoup.
1: Laura, we just talked to Philippe Umu. What are your tech takeaways?
0: I like him. I'm glad we got him on. There's a big time zone difference. So it's always kind of difficult when I'm like, what time is it for you? Oh, it's so late and so early for us. So I love kind of getting people on from different time zones and figuring out what are they doing and what's going on. Wish I could speak French, then I would be able to really just get in his time zone more. But I love cyber episodes. I love cybersecurity as a whole. I really liked your question, Kev, actually, when you were talking about the security of open source. Because that's the thing, I think a lot of companies, cyber or other, are focused so much on open source because it's an easy thing to be like, oh, it's free, get attached to our product, and then you can build on top of it. And so there are so many pluses to it. But there's also a reason that a lot of governments and a lot of super secure companies are like, I don't want anything to do with open source. So there's a lot of pluses and a lot of negatives to it. And so I always think the question of security when it comes to open source is a good one. And I think it's a hard one for different companies and people are always kind of gonna skirt around it because it's hard to be that secure when it's open source because you are kind of taking on that risk yourself. But at the same point, when you're a cyber company, you're kind of saying, here are the risks and here are what we're going to do from our end. So whatever you're adding, that's still your own risk, but we're covering this part, which I think is really good. I also am now craving going to an alpaca farm. I'm like, oh, for those listening, we are not sponsored by Paca Apparel, but you should check it out. They're a great company. They started with like two guys who went to uh, Brazil themselves and found an alpaca farm and were like, We should make clothing. It's so great. I highly recommend them. Kev, what about you? What were your tech takeaways?
1: I liked it as well. For me, like the crowdsource community, when we first pulled this up and I was looking into this, I was like, this seems counterintuitive to cybersecurity. You want to lock things down, you don't want to share information. You You know, I'm inherently untrusting of a lot of humans. And so The idea of that seems weird and scary, but I think he answered that question in a really good way. I think his answer definitely was more reassuring and definitely put it in perspective is that you want to loop in the community, but at the same time, we're not just necessarily blasting the software out there. And Mm -hmm. so I thought that was a good answer. And I definitely think I I like it now. I think I'm a lot more understanding of the idea of it. It's more about mind sharing and less about the actual security aspects that you're outsourcing. And so I think that piece of it is good. So Mm -hmm. I, I was pleased with that.
0: Kevin, if you could learn one language outside from any language you already know, what would it be?
1: Uh, That's a good question. I I took a lot of French in high school and college, so I feel like I at least have a basis with it. But it's obviously been 25 years since I've really used it, so I'm definitely losing it. So my first would be, let me get back into my French Uh knowledge. But I think next probably Spanish. My kids speak a lot of Spanish from their schooling and all that. And there are just times where they're just like kind of chatting next to me. and I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. Like I catch that one word here or there. So probably yeah. French first, Spanish second.
0: I know some Spanish and yet you would, you're supposed to, if you know Spanish, be able to do Portuguese, French and Italian are supposed to be like the next ones. And yet I'm like, I can't, I cannot with French and I want to, it's beautiful. <laughs> but you know what language I, I hate saying this. I know a little bit of German and and I and I hate it. I also just think it's one of those languages, like, it's it's terrible to say, but in French, if somebody is telling me I'm disgusting and they hate me, I'm like, wow, that's so beautiful. But in German, if someone's like, I love you, you're beautiful, you're amazing, I'm just like, why are you yelling at me? What what did I do to you? So it definitely
1: sounds like an angry language, even when you're saying something very beautiful. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, That's I mean.
0: the one language that I'm kind of like, <laughs> ah... And I, and I hate that I feel that way. I know so many people that I'm like, wow, like you're such a nice person. But I'm always just like, mm, I don't think we get along. They're like, That's what hilarious. Yeah. Anyway, if you are listening and you'd like to learn more about our guest, their company, their, anything cyber, anything about us, any languages, if there's anything you want to tell us, share with us anything you're feeling thinking we are here for it it is a new year same pod we're trying to get some new things going but mostly we just kind of want to get some new listeners feedback so if you want to reach out to us we'd love to hear from you we are waiting for it so please don't be shy reach out to us at contact at thattechpod.com if you have social media we have some sort of platforms but we definitely have a linkedin so head on over to linkedin.com thattechpod and don't forget to go to our website, www.thattechpod.com. Enter your email to subscribe. Kev, is there anything else that they can they can do?
1: Absolutely. Go to wherever you get your pods, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or what have you, and leave us a review. Leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. All that stuff helps us with the algorithms and gets us out there.
0: Thanks, everybody.
1: See you.